New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Good morning, Kiwi. How you doing? Good morning. I'm doing great. How are you? You doing better than the Patriots? (laughs) There we go. Let's just get right into it, huh? Let's get let's get right into it, Uh, and let's start with that game first and foremost. Uh, 47-17, Buffalo Bills win. Uh, You know, you and I talked about it earlier in the week, and uh, I, I felt that the team that had the better rushing attack was going to, and, and I, and I felt going in that that was the Patriots with the one, two punch with uh, Harris and Stevenson. And, and I felt because mm. of that, that they would keep this game close and it would be a lot more entertaining game. Uh, but no, that's not what happened. And uh, boy did. And, and like, didn't you feel it from the get, like from the first from the snap, very beginning. did the you saw it, right? I saw it. I saw it. Like from the first yeah. snap Kiwi, I said, Oh snap. I'd say something else is a family show. And I said, oh, damn it. They're going to lose. You just, you, you felt yeah. the energy. You felt the physicality. You felt mm. the excitement. You felt the intensity that the Buffalo Bills mm. started the game with. I don't know what the heck was going on with the Patriots. Bill Belichick did not have that team ready. That's for sure. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. I think there's there's a difference, right? So X's and O's mean a lot. So we, you got to give coordinators and coaches a lot of credit. But when it comes down to it, there is an essence of playing playoff football that is just different. So from the, from the opening snap, you can kind of tell there's one team that expected to be there. And there's another team that was kind of like, oh, you know, we made it here. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the playoffs is not the finish line for teams that are um, mature enough. They have the experience and they've been, they've been talking about the expectation of going deep into the playoffs, if not winning a championship the entire year. And when I tell you, I mean, Josh Allen did his thing, but that entire bills team, I mean, they had a a different mindset from the, from the very onset. This podcast is proud to be supported by jets pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, another thing I talked about when I started the show, it's really hard, you know, uh, because and, and, and let's rewind. Uh, I'm 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 the biggest Mac Jones fan and supporter. So Mac Jones comes out. The, the Patriots have the game that they did last night. Of course, Twitter goes crazy and everybody comes after me and it's fine. It, it is what it is. This is what you this is. A, this is what you sign up for if, if you're a sports talk analyst. B, this is what you sign up for if you are a, uh, a, a handicapper when it comes to gambling. So, uh, so it's, it's great. It's, it's fine. I'm fine with and, it. And, Andrew, Andrew in New York, let's be honest. Yeah, I, I mean, but, but you know, I would imagine that the, the number of people that are commenting are, are more 
um, or, or, or across the country. And, that, and that's fine. Listen, it's fine. It's fine. But here, here's the thing. And I talked about this earlier. It's really, I'm sure that the Patriots had a game plan coming in. But once you're down 21 nothing, 24 nothing, exactly. 27 nothing, that game yep. plan, that goes out the freaking window. And yeah. now, and now what? And so I just don't think a rookie quarterback is, is ready for that. You, you can't, you can't expect a rookie quarterback to come back from 21, 24, 27 down because the mm-hmm. game plan that you've been p- preparing for and you thought would play to your hand all mm-hmm. week is out the window. So the game plan, the game plan changes. And, and here's something that I, that I saw is that um, we talk about the difference between like, you know, regular or preseason, regular season, and then playoff football. And then you can even take it up another notch and say Super Bowl football, right? Everybody is extremely jacked up at every single level. It goes a little farther. When you're, when you're talking about an offense that is, um, you know, predicated on being in rhythm, you know, that's a significant issue because everybody's running a little bit faster. Everybody's hitting a little bit harder. People have studied a little bit more. So they're closer in proximity when they're in zone and they're, they're tighter or they're jamming harder and they're in their matches. Uh, when they're in man. And so um, those windows are not the same. You know, the clock in in Mac Jones' head is not playoff ready. And so I feel like this could be one of the biggest learning experiences for him. I think when he goes back and, and watches his film, he'll look and say, oh, okay, like there's there's a different speed with which the game is played once you get into the playoffs. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, the, the experience, the experience that, you know, just just preparing for this week, Mm-hmm. Matthias, you know, um, head and shoulders above now, even, you know, Matt came into this season, head and shoulders above a number of the other quarterbacks, just by the mere fact that he played for Alabama, right. Mm-hmm. And was more pro ready than anyone else. Now give him this week of preparation, preparing for a playoff game at that Patriots organization. Um, it's priceless in regard to that type of experience moving forward for him, but nonetheless, so now the bills, again, they beat, the Patriots 47 to 17. So now what happens? They are the second seed. So, um, so they, I'm sorry, they're the third seed. So now they sit back and they wait and see what happens in the Kansas city Pittsburgh game. So if Kansas city wins, they go to Kansas city. If Pittsburgh wins, then they host Cincinnati. So that's, that's how that plays out. Uh, game number one, and I know we started with the, the later game, but that was because uh, just more to talk about there, that's for sure, uh, is Cincinnati over the Raiders. This is what I expected. I, I would assume this is what you expected. And they covered 26-19. Uh, Joe Burrow was amazing. Now, I, I, now the, the Raiders played a very soft coverage, so there were these little windows. His accuracy Kiwi was really phenomenal. I mean, he just, like, his ball placement. Granted, he's working with Jamar Chase. The two of them went to LSU together. I understand that. But just the way that he was able to just, you know, pinpoint accuracy and and just put on a clinic, like, all game long, um, was really, really, really impressive. It was was very impressive. I mean, he was... um, uh, in very well command of the offense. You know, they, they got off the field with points the majority of the time. There was um, just, there was not a whole lot of indecision and he looked good. I mean, there's not a real good answer in the league for Jamar Chase, you know, and for that combo, um, when those two are clicking, like it is, it is, it is something special. We are witnessing something special right now. So, so Cincinnati is the fourth seed. 
So again, if Kansas City wins, they go to Tennessee, which will be an interesting matchup. Uh, if Pittsburgh wins, then they go to Buffalo. So they'll either take on Tennessee or Buffalo, where uh, where the Bills will either take on uh, Kansas City or Cincinnati. So that's how the AFC is looking to pan out. As for the Raiders, it was unfortunate. You know, I, I know a lot of people, I'm sure I would imagine there were a number of people out there that were rooting for the Raiders, considering everything they went through in the offseason. Kiwi, you know, from Gruden to, to Henry Ruggs and, and all that. Carr, really, to me, the biggest difference was Carr and the two turnovers. You can't turn the ball over to the Bengals in that explosive offense. Uh, one, of course, the forced fumble from uh, Trey Hendrickson, who's just been a beast all season long. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, mm-hmm. that last, towards the, la- the, the end, the last play of the game for them and that, that interception. And, again, I was talking about it earlier. I don't know why he threw it because Zay Jones was double covered, but the guy behind him, and I don't know, I, I don't recall what defender was. He was draped all over him. I, f- I feel that maybe Carr was expecting to get the, uh, the, the penalty call there, pass interference penalty. I think that's why he threw it. It ended up in an interception, and he did not get the call. But that, that's just what I think yeah. his mind, where his mindset was. Yeah, it, it, it looked that way. Um, I think from, from the beginning of that game, um, they looked flustered. There, there were a number of things that, that, that didn't go their way. Um, the whistle that was blown, um, you know, they they called a timeout, and then I think they almost had a delay game right after that. Like they they weren't playing the game; they weren't playing within themselves. It, it seemed as though you know they got behind the ball and they were just struggling to to kind of keep up. And you can you see as the camera pans around, like you know their their eyes are a little big. The moment was a little big for them. And I was one of those people, you know, to be honest. Like I had picked them uh, to win this game, and you know I was. I learned a valuable lesson in terms of, you know, now that gambling is legal, you know, it's, it's not always a fairy tale. Like sometimes like too much is actually too much. Like they have a lot going on. There's a lot of moving pieces. We heard Versace say, you know, at halftime, you know, we just, we just have to let it go. You know what I mean? Like he, he it's, it seemed as though he had that mentality of like, yo, there's so many things that have gone wrong for us this year, yet we are in the position we're in. We're not going to look at one um, bad call and say like this is the reason why we didn't make it to the championship. No, like they're proud of where they are, where they have gotten, what they have done uh, collectively as a group. You know, and and watching from the outside in, I'm I'm you know I'm proud of them also. Like they they face a lot of adversity. Um, so, but at the end of the day, it was just too much. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. As we know, Joe Judge uh, no longer there. I wasn't invited invited to the pizza and beer party. Were you? Were you invited to the pizza? And no, beer party? I, I didn't quite get the um, get the invite, but no, I did. I, I did appreciate the sentiment. I'm glad that you know he got together and and um, and, you know I saw a lot of people came to his defense when those pictures were posted online. I I, I appreciated that. You know, like he's doing something good. For the guys who came to bat for him and and he should, you know, he should have done it and he should have had a good time. Well, I always say this, you know, when people call up and they're like, oh, this coach needs to go. I always say, listen, I hope you understand. It's not this, just the coach who's going. When the coach goes, mm-hmm. his entire coaching staff goes because the new coach mm-hmm. comes in and he wants his own guys there. So you're talking mm-hmm. a lot of families with no food on the table. I mean, I'm exaggerating. Obviously, you know, they get paid pretty handsomely. They do have food on their table. I'm sure they'll find jobs elsewhere, but it's more than just one person that's affected. So you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. But that's part of the problem, right? So, like, you know, he to whom much much is given, much is expected. So the coaches, they do very well for themselves. You know, they make a lot of money and this and that. 
But being a coach, especially like you know, assistant coach or a position coach in the NFL, it's a tedious job. You know, you we would land, you know, from a late game, like coming back from Dallas or something like that, right? You land at like three o'clock in the morning. We go home to our families, come back, we show up maybe like eight o'clock. Those coaches they have don't. Been there. Yeah, they have been there breaking down the mm-hmm. we show up early in the morning to work out and they have been there. They have all the tape graded. They have the film, everything graded. So, you know, I've been in coaches' offices before and seen, you know, they have a an, like a, an armoire. They have like, you know, clothes in there and a cot in there because they spend so much time there. So there's, I have a lot of respect for um, the guys who are in there every day, you know, putting that get those game plans together because it's not easy and they spend a lot of time away from their families. So, so yeah, absolutely. It's a big deal when the staff, you know, has to change. You're talking about kids changing schools, moving, selling houses and, and the whole nine to stay in the business. It's um, you know, a lot of respect for them. Yeah. Uh, Hugh Jackson is a very dear friend of mine and uh, you know, his, his tenure and, and his experience of, as a head coach in the NFL is well-documented. Um, mm-hmm. it, it has not ended well for him. So uh, you know, there, there were, there were many a nights I'd get a phone call at like 1 AM him heading home to sleep for three hours and then he'd be back at the facility at 5 a.m. And when he when he would coach for the uh, the Cleveland Browns, he had a, a townhouse literally right behind the facility. So he would literally walk home and back. And so um, and, and the number of hours and, and the amount of time and, and it's just it's 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 really it's it's so grueling. And that's why, believe it or not, like a lot of head coaches, their health is not well. Like it it, no, because they're not sleeping, they're not eating well, and mm-hmm. unless, unless you know, it's very interesting. This this new young crop of of coaches like Lafleur and McVeigh, and you know, they pride themselves on working out. Like they make mm-hmm. time for themselves, you know, to to work out. Robert Sala, you know, so maybe there's just a, a different a different mentality now uh, than before. But nonetheless, um, so where are the Giants out? No head coach, no general manager. Here's a list of, of the general managers that have been associated with the Giants, whether they've interviewed them already via Zoom, whether they're going to interview them. And none of these names stand out to me. Uh, Joe Sheen Schoen from the Bills, Adrian Wilson and Quentin Harris from the Cardinals, Ryan Poles uh, as well from, well, that, from the Cardinals. That one, that one stands out to me. He was, he was on my team with me um, at BC. He's been to Kansas City. So he's he's been with um, with Spag, so I have a lot of connections there, and I I understand that you know his philosophy in terms of trying to put teams together. He's been he's been interviewed for a couple of other jobs also, but Adam Adam Peters, uh, Rand Carthon, Monty mm-hmm. Austinfort, Ryan mm-hmm. uh, Cowden, and Joe Hortz. Hort Hort Hortz Hortz. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the Ravens director of player personnel. Apparently, he's been there a while ever since Ozzy was there. I was there when Ozzy was there as well. But uh, unfortunately, I, I don't recall Joe. A, a name that's not in this group is Elliot Wolf, who a number of people, he's the Patriots senior consultant, a number of people really, really like, and, and his father was in the business. So surprised that he's not on this list. Two guys that I do know that are dear friends of mine. One is John Spitek, and he's with the Bucks. The other one is Champ Kelly, who's with the Bears. He's the Bears assistant director of player personnel. So uh, neither of those guys are on the list but uh, but what what so what can you tell us about Ryan? Um, just that um, he gets it, he understands it, he understands like how to build a team. Um, I spoke with him earlier this year in terms of um, you know how to get guys understanding 
um, spags and, and understanding that defense. And then, you know, after that, obviously they figured it out because they turned it around. Um, but he's just, he's, he's a hard worker. He's somebody that I would support in terms of um, if he got the job, he would do everything. He's not, he's not about like the flash or, you know, just kind of trying to come to the city. He's trying to get an organization and make a name for himself. And, and he's hungry. I think this position is going to need somebody who um, uh, understands what the city is about, who can, who can be in a big market um, and who understands how to put a team together from different perspectives. So you have a lot of different personalities. Not every good player can play on a team. You know, there, there are personalities involved. There are, um, you know, uh, you have to have an understanding of, of who can fit into what system uh, for a lot of different reasons, whether it's the scheme or whether it's, you know, it's, it's people who mingle together. Um, so I think the job of, as a GM is a lot more than what people see. It's not just numbers. It's not just salary cap and assembling a, a good team of people. You have to make sure that these people can work together. And then the pressure of being in New York, we saw it, it gets to a, a lot of people, you know? And so it has to be somebody who's confident enough um, to, to be able to believe in himself and get the job done, but then humble enough to ask for help. You know, there's a lot of resources, you know, if you're in New York and you have an opportunity to reach out to some of the greatest uh, because of their affiliation with the organization. It's got to be somebody who understands that also, the history of the organization. Here, here are some of the list of, of coaches out there that have been interviewed. There's requests for them to be interviewed, and majority of them more than likely will get a head coaching spot. Um, and that is Doug Peterson, of course, as we know, former head coach of the Eagles, took excuse me, took a year off. Brian Flores, a lot of people think that he's going to go to the Texans, and I don't know if he does. Apparently, he was the big proponent for Deshaun Watson. Maybe Deshaun Watson stays in, in Houston. Who knows? Dan Quinn, defensive coordinator with the Cowboys. Of course, we know he was the former head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Nathaniel Hackett, Packers offensive coordinator. Byron Leftwich, Bucks offensive coordinator, as well as Todd Bowles. We know Todd Bowles well here in New York. Um, Brian Dabble, uh, Bills offensive coordinator, and Leslie Frazier as well. Uh, the Bills defensive coordinator. So those are just a list of a few of the names uh, where requests have been made in regard to uh, being interviewed. So we'll see what happens. Again, uh, the, the one thing that really stands out to me here is the, the Giants are finally doing this right. And it's not mm-hmm. ownership picking their own general manager and then ownership picking the coach that they want. Hire a general manager. Let that general manager then go out and hire the coach that he wants. Therefore, mm-hmm. now you've got a cohesive unit two guys that are on the same page. Now they can go out and they can decide on their scouting department. They can decide on free agents. They can decide on their offense and defensive coordinators, their coaching staff, so that together they mm-hmm. can create an identity and a scheme and all that stuff that you need, that needs to be one cohesive unit uh, in order to have success in the NFL. So and that, there, me, and there will be no more, excu- there will be no more excuses, you know, like there's no, well, this, this GM had to, you know, had to work with this quarter or this quarterback or this um, uh, this coach or whatever it is. Um, you know, it's it's starting fresh, starting from the very beginning. So we have to get results. Results have to have to come in after this next these next two hires. Quick break. We come back. Jordan Renan will join us. As we know, he covers the the Giants. We'll find out what's the latest. What has he heard about the GM search? as well as maybe some of the head coaches uh, that, uh, that, that are out there as well that might have some interest. Uh, you know, here's another thing. You know, if, 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 there's a, if there's a general manager out there, Kiwi, that is, is highly wanted and desired, you know, is the Giants the best organization for him to come and have success? I mean, 
you know, they're cap strapped. Um, you, you know, whether you like Daniel Jones or not, chances are you got to roll with him again because he's on that rookie deal and you've got so much money tied up. Granted, you could, you could, you can make stuff happen. You could rework deals and whatnot, but you know, where this organization is, uh, in regard to draft capital and, and cap space, um, is not a very desirable location. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Anita Marks, Matthias Kiwanuka, and you, it is New York Game Day. Joining us now is Jordan Renan, covers the uh, Giants for ESPN, giving us uh, an update in regards to what's going on with this GM search. So first things first, Jordan, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. How you doing? Good morning. What's going on, Anita? Kiwi? Um, How we doing? Good morning, Jordan. Just uh, recovering from all my losses from last night's Buffalo Bills New England's game. I had the Patriots plus four and a half. Huge, Mm. huge swing and miss there. Um, Anita, Anita, come on. Everybody was fooled by that 50 mile per hour win. The best player on the field is that quarterback. Yeah, and and we had, we had, quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. We had your co worker, uh, Mike Reese, on yesterday and uh, and Friday night. And so I should have listened to him. He said that they were pretty banged up. So um, anyway, on to the Giants and the GM search. So fill us in. I just, prior to you uh, popping on board, I just kind of, I I gave our listeners a laundry list of the general managers that had been associated um, with the GM search for the Giants. What can you tell us? Who's been interviewed? Who hasn't? Who else is out there on the horizon? Fill us in. Well, they've actually gone, you know, they're ripping through them two a day pretty much up until today. So, you know, they went through two Tennessee executives, Monty Ossifert and Ryan Cowden. Uh, Ryan Poles, an executive from uh, Kansas City, young executive I heard was very impressive. Uh, he, Joe Shane uh, from Buffalo is another one to, to keep an eye on. Uh, so, I mean, the, the Giants, and then yesterday they did uh, Joe Hortiz from uh, the Ravens, and I'm missing a couple others of the top of my head here uh but what the idea is here is the giants are listening to a lot of different opinions from a lot of different organizations and what they're doing is they're collecting information okay what do are all these other teams doing that they're able to have success right what does a, a successful organization uh structurally look like these days and then, you know, they're talking to two, two more guys on, I believe, tomorrow from San Francisco, Adam Peters and Rand Carthon. The two guys I forgot, by the way, were the, the Arizona guys. So Adrian Wilson and uh, Quentin, Quentin Harris. Harris. Right. Quentin Harris is like the number two under uh, John, uh, not John Kime, John Kime's our reporter. Steve. Uh, Steve, Steve Kime, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, the idea is, look, notice those teams. Ready? Arizona. Tennessee, Kansas mm. City, Buffalo, you know, mm. I, the Baltimore, Baltimore, granted they didn't make the playoffs this year, but I mean, and no one's going to argue with Baltimore's success consistently over the last 20 years. You know, good quality organizations, organizations that are having success. Well, how do they, how are they set up? How are they operating mm-hmm. that maybe we're not doing, right? Because whatever the Giants have been doing has not been working. They're, they're, their organization is a mess right now. So I think that's the idea, you know, how this actually plays out. I don't think anybody really knows because let's be, let's be fair. 
Did anybody really think that Joe Judge was going to emerge from their coaching search last time? <laughs> I, you can talk to people inside. You can talk to people inside the organization, and not one of them would have predicted entering the coaching search that Joe Judge was going to be their head coach, and he is. So uh, I have heard a lot then, of things. Let, let's let's say there what, about what was Ryan Paul that made them hire. He blew him away in the interview. I mean, John Maris has been been outright about that. He said it was you know, the best interview he's ever been a part of. I mean, Joe Judge, with the vision he had, uh, some of the, the ideas that he brought to them of what how they were operating in New England, made the Giants fall in love. And uh, you know, a lot of the things that he sold them on. To be fair, he he didn't get the opportunity to fully uh, implement and and. Uh, you know, go through with the plan because, you know, they, they cut it after two years, but that's because they didn't change the general manager at the time. Now, that's the beauty of this right now is that the GM is then going to drive the head coaching search, and I think when they come out of this, they're going to realize that the way that other teams are operating is the, the, the front office and the coaching staff are operating way more closely than the Giants have had it over the last, you know, however, for, forever of how they operated. Again, Jordan Renan joining us here on ninety-eight point seven ESPN. You know what? What I'm what I'm excited about, Jordan, with this organization is I feel like they're finally doing it right. Where you know, in, in everything I'm hearing, and, and you can confirm or deny this, they're going to bring in the general manager and then let the general manager decide who his head coach is going to be, as opposed to yeah. uh, you know Marin Tish saying, "Okay, well, we're going to hire the general manager and we're going to hire the head coach." And oh, by the way, you two dudes mm-hmm. have to work together. Like that is a recipe yep. for disaster. So I, I just feel like yeah. all right, they're they're finally they're finally going to get it right, and it's going to be a tandem that then can decide on on the remainder of the staff. So right, you're, you you can confirm that that's the, yeah. the that's the game plan, right? Now I believe yeah, we'll see how it shakes out because with this organization, I keep saying this, and you you don't you can't rule anything out at this point because that's the way they've they've been operating the last few years. But yeah, that is the idea, and it does align them much more than has been said. The Giants have always been the organization. I think I've mentioned this on the show many times. Front office, coaching staff, it's always been a separation between church and state. Anyone who thinks that it's Dave Gettleman that hired, you know, Pat Shermer and Joe Judge, you're sorely mistaken. Ownership has hired the head coach here in the past. Now, general manager has had input, but ownership has made that higher, and uh, that seems to seems likely to change this time. Although ownership still will have input and ultimately final say, but I think the head coach, the general manager, is going to drive that head coaching search. Do you have a favorite? Uh, for the general manager or the head coach? Head coach or gen- GM? Like, you know, we don't, yeah, we, we can't jump the gun. Yeah, um, we can't jump on the coach yet. Well, I, I think guys like Ryan Ryan Poles, who you know, I think has a, a pretty good shot here. Uh, Joe Shane, Joe Hortiz, uh, those are the guys that I think that initially I look at and say, okay, I think they might they might have the best chance here to land this job. Um, but we'll see. You know, they're still going to go through second, I think, second round of interviews because. These interviews, remember, right now are over video conference. Mm-hmm. They still haven't met in person, uh, so I think there's a, there's a long way to go here in this uh, GM search. But I think those are some of the names that really pop at me early, and I've heard Great. good things. I mean, those those guys, I've heard I've heard it went well. Sorry. 
Um, last thing for you before I let you go, you know, everything that I'm reading is that this team is very cap strapped. Um, who, whoever does oh, come yeah. in, is there, is, is there any leeway for them to decide whether or not, Hey, I want Daniel Jones. I don't, or do you feel that, that Daniel Jones, they're, they're going to be forced to move with Daniel Jones just because his rookie deal. And there's just not a lot of cap space to go anywhere else. I think you can go somewhere else. You have to make sacrifices if they want to. Uh, but remember, if they want to go draft, that's always an option. So I think I think that that that's that certainly will be an option. Like, how how willing are they, the next general manager, to want to bare bones scratch it to the surface? I think that's the question that we're going to have to find out the answer to. Is like, you know, do they want to get rid of? Saquon Barkley? Do they want to, uh, you know, cut Sterling Shepard? I mean, and just really get rid of almost, you know, a lot of the guys that are here. You know, they could eventually move on from Blake Martinez. There's a, there's a, and then we're talking like, okay, this is a full-on rebuild if they decide to go that direction, right? Uh, but, but I think you know, anything should be on board right now, and uh, you know, that goes with quarterback if they really want to make a move for Russell Wilson. You know, I'm sure they could find a way to make it happen now. You know, this talk about Deshaun Watson now, I mean, we need to be realistic here for a second. I'm not sure that's a move that the Giants are going to go in that direction. But, uh, hey, if they passed up on on Micah Parsons because of whatever happened in that locker room, you're telling me they're going to go Deshaun Watson? No, please. Come on! It's, it's kind of funny. All these, all these guys, all these guys apparently want to go to the Giants all of a sudden. I mean, they're one of the worst organizations in the uh, in they, they are, along with the Jets in the NFL over the last five years. All these guys want to go to the Giants all of a sudden. Uh, New York. Jo- it, it is New York. <laughs> you, Jordan, I mean, it is. People, Jordan, people say, you. you can say you can say what you want, but there are a lot of opportunities, a lot of doors that open for you, and uh, to some respect, you know, within the NFL circle, people are starting to look more about their longevity, their careers after football. And that was a lot of what I heard about, you know, when, when free agents were coming to New York, my time there was like, Hey, like you guys don't understand, like you can come here and get opportunities that you will never get if you're playing in, you know, Kansas city, Indianapolis, or the middle of the country or anything like that. So uh, there still is something to it. Jordan, thank you so much. Always great. When you join us Uh good insight, we'll see what happens. I'm sure you'll keep us posted. You have a in, enjoy wild card weekend uh, Sunday. Okay. Thanks, Jordan. Absolutely. Speak okay. soon. All right. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Welcome back to New York Game Day on ESPN 98.7 in New York. I am Matthias Kiwanuka in, with, uh, in for Anita Marks and later on Mike Tannenbaum. Right now we have Rich Samini joining us to talk about all things Jets. We'll take a break from the playoffs and and get into you know our, our homebred New York teams and and, and take a look at, at what the needs are coming up for this year. Rich, how you doing? Good morning, Kiwi. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. I guess I guess we could we could start. What, what was your opinion of the games last night? I know you, you've covered these two teams very well too, in terms of um, uh, Bills Patriots. What was your take on the game? Well, I watched the entire first game, and in the second game, I'll be honest, I gave up at halftime. I was right? uh, I was blown. <laughs> Like a lot of people, I was blown away by. I mean, I I was fairly confident that Buffalo would win, but mm-hmm. never did I think it would be like that. That was just, uh, I mean, it was a comeuppance for New England, which has, 
you know, blown out so many people, including the Jets this year, a couple of times. And just to get it rubbed in their face like that, I'm sure a lot of Jet fans were were reveling in that moment because it is a once-in-a-decade once kind of moment when you see a Bill Belichick coach team just outperformed so convincingly. It was just, uh, you know, it was just uh, amazing. And the Bills, uh, you know, have it really going right now. Yeah, no, they, they definitely have it going. I mean, I was the same way. I had to wake up early this morning to, to put it back on and, and finish watching it. But um, do you think that's something that's sustainable going throughout the rest of these playoffs? I mean, Josh Allen played out of his mind, let's be honest. Like, I mean, that was that was one of those career performances. If they do go on to, to win the championship, I think this will be a game that they talk about um, for a long time here to come. Do you think this is something he could sustain throughout the rest of these playoffs? Well, yeah, I mean, he, he he pretty much played a flawless game last night. Some of those throws he was making, I mean, just uh, put the ball in some unbelievably tight windows and on the run and, and just really showed his entire skill set last night. And uh, look, I mean, we've seen that before, never in a game with the stakes that high. And I do think it's sustainable. I think that, I mean, my pick to go to the Super Bowl was Kansas City before before things got started yesterday. But, I mean, Buffalo's right there. I mean, the only thing, and they've been doing it better lately, the only, their running game is not great, and their ground, you know, and their rushing attack, uh, something I thought the Jets could have exploited better in the final game, it has not been great, their rush defense, but clearly it was on point last night. looks like they made some adjustments to become a get, a better against the run, which, of course, is so critical when the games are in, in played in conditions like that. So they look like they're hitting on all cylinders, and I and I do think you know I do think they're in it right right to the end. So let's let's switch gears, right? So let's talk about the Jets. What what do you foresee? Like what needs that? What are the first couple steps that need to happen during this offseason um, to come back and have a successful year? And then we'll talk about what you think a successful year for next year will be. Well, just just the last couple of days, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the Jets were conducting their own internal organizational meetings where the, you know, Sala will meet with the position coaches and they go through essentially evaluate the entire roster. So, so that's step one. So they, they do kind of an objective view a self scout on where they think their players are. And so now they can formulate their needs as they go into the off season. Now, I think coming up here shortly uh, on Jan, on February 1st, the senior bowl practices start. And it's extra important for the Jets this year because they will be actually coaching in the game, which is uh, was not a surprise. We kind of expected it, but it's actually the first time since 1979 that the Jets coaching staff is going to be coaching in the Senior Bowl. And I think for a team like the Jets, which, which we know they're flush with draft capital, that is a big advantage just to be able to get that much hands-on exposure uh, to the prospects is uh, is tremendous advantage during the vetting process. You know, their coaches will be conducting meetings with these players. They can see how these players are thinking and acting behind the scenes. Uh, so you get so much more intel when you're coaching the game. And they and the, we do know some of the rosters. They are coaching so you know the wide receiver, a good group of receivers, and a really good group of tight ends. And we know that's one of the Jets' needs. So and then they jump right right from there into into free agency. So I think it's going to be. Starting on February 1st, it's going to be a pretty busy offseason for the Jets. Let's, let's talk about what you think their needs are. What needs do you think need to be addressed first and foremost? Well, I think when you're talking about 
Robert Sala and Joe Douglas, what, what do we know about them? We know they like Joe Douglas likes offensive linemen and Robert Sala likes defensive linemen. So I think if you're doing your mock drafts at home, go with a big person, you know, with those, with four, uh, maybe they got four and 10. Uh, I guarantee you one of them will be a big body. Uh, I'm not saying it'll be both, but depending on how the draft falls, they need an edge rusher um, in the worst way. I think when you look back, and I know they feel this way internally as well. When you look back at their defense, obviously it stunk. I mean, let's be honest. They finished 32nd in a lot of categories. But I don't think the coverage was as bad as people might think. I think those young corners developed toward the end of the year, especially Brandon Eccles and Michael Carter. I think they were coming on. I think if you look at it really closely, and I've, and I've done this, and I've looked at all the analytics, I think where they really need the most help is their pass rush. They finished, I think, 29th in sacks and 30th in pressure percentage. So, And that entire defense, as you know, being a, a former defensive lineman, that defense is based on generating pressure. When you're playing that style of 4-3, up, you know, up the field, penetrating, it's got to be about the pressure. And The Jets didn't get nearly as much pressure last season as they, as they should have. So it'll help by getting Carl Lawson back from his injury. But I think even with Lawson coming back, I could still see them using one of those high picks on an edge rusher. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I was looking, we always say like um, 10 sacks is, is kind of the standard. You know, if you're, if you're trying to get paid and you're going to the table, you bring your 10 sacks with you and they're going to have to pay you, right? Of the top 19 pass rushers who reported nine and a half or more sacks, I believe 16 or 17 of them are in the playoffs right now. So it, it's, well, a, I think it's a good, it's a good number, really? right? Yeah. So it's, I think it's very crucial. Um, we, we sit and we talk about um, quarterback play a lot because the quarterback is one of the most important positions on the field. And even as a defensive lineman, I always said, like, you know, like I, I was going to get on the media and then just start talking about quarterbacks, but, but they have to perform. They have to manage the game, control the game, say what you want about um, Joe Burrow's performance yesterday. Like they manage the game. They manage to, to come off the field with some kind of points, whether, you know, if it's not a touchdown, at least get us in position to get, to get a field goal um, a significant amount of the time. Um, but past that, there's an, always an opportunity for a defensive lineman, specifically a pass rusher, to take over um, the game and to affect change. And I think I saw last night, and you know, I'll get your opinion on this on, on the games, both winning teams won the battle up front. You know, that line of scrimmage was was pushed back. So you're talking about the Jets and how you know they they want to you know be a penetrating defense and 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 get up the field. Um, is that a realistic scheme for a young team? Is that something that they can continue to build on? Or do you think schematically there, there need to be some changes? Well, here's an interesting thing that I may Jet fans may or may not know it. The Buffalo Bills play the exact style of defense scheme wise as the Jets do. Uh, that's not me saying it. That's, that's Robert Sala saying it. That's people in the Jet organization saying it, it is the exact style they play schematically. And so it seems to be working for the Bills, right? They're, they're number one in defense, and they just smoked, you know, one of the all-time best teams over the last 20 years last night. So it's, it's the right scheme, Kiwi. It's just like to play that scheme and just look at the 49ers, you know, when Salah was there. You know, look, look at all the resources they poured into that defensive line. I think they have, what, four number one picks on that defensive line. That's mm -hmm. what you're going to see. He's trying to recreate that here. And 
you know, you'll have Lawson back. You have John Franklin Myers. You know, they paid him last year, so he's going to be starting. Uh, I don't think he's a pure edge rusher. He had six sacks last year. I think they could kick him inside and be a defensive tackle with Quinn and Williams. You still need some more speed on the edge. And at the same time, we're forgetting about the offensive line. This is, you talked about Zach Wilson and trying to make him better. You know, they need another offensive lineman. So I could easily see them going with, there are like two or three really good tackles in this draft who probably will be picked in the top 10. I think there's a pretty good chance the Jets could get one of them. You know, I mean, even if they keep Makai Becton at left tackle, you know, they could draft someone, put him at right tackle or move Becton to right tackle. They have to do what they can also to make Wilson a better quarterback because last year, I mean, if they had even average quarterback play last year, this team would have won six or seven games last year. They had sub sub average quarterback play, so they have to get Wilson. And some of that will be Wilson's own growth himself, you know, getting better next year. But they have to do what they can to make him better. What is, what does Wilson have to do this offseason in order to get there? I mean, obviously he needs to stay healthy, and that's not always within a player's control. So you know, I respect that. But what is he? What do you, what are you looking for? Um, let's say, you know, we fast forward to preseason. What are you hoping that he develops better? Well, the first thing he said he's going to do is uh, he's going to try to add more muscle to his body. Uh, I think he's listed at like 215 or something like that. He just wants to, uh, and I think that's only natural for a quarterback to, after you've experienced uh, the NFL for 13 games he started, I'm sure it was tough for him. I mean, to, for the amount of pounding he took, I mean, even in the last game alone, he was sacked eight times. So I think he he just wants to develop his body more, which is great. You know, he should be doing that. And just from a uh, just from a personal, you know, part of the football part of it, he needs to improve his accuracy. Uh, he was way way down in accuracy. I think he was at fifty four percent and change. That is not an acceptable level for the NFL. I mean, you have to be sixty five percent or more to be a, you know, a quality NFL quarterback, especially his short area accuracy. It, it really didn't, I, I just crunched all the numbers yesterday. Uh, it didn't even get better as the year went on. He maintained a pretty low percentage and he has to get better in, in the, like the zero to 10 yard range. The, those numbers were way, way down. And so just overall accuracy has to be better. And he'll be working with his personal guy, you know, John Beck, the former NFL quarterback who actually was on the Jets coaching staff for the last half of the year. Uh, well, who was, who wasn't on the with, Jets coaching staff? I know. I think everybody was uh, quarterback uh, coaching. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're exactly right. I think they had like four. But mm-hmm. uh, so, Beck, it's actually kind of a way to circumvent the league rules. The Jets, you know, Beck will continue to coach Zach in the offseason because technically he's uh, not a member of the Jets coaching staff anymore. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that's a wink-wink right there. Uh, <laughs> so it works out well because – Zach can continue his momentum uninterrupted. So that works out well. So he'll spend a lot of time just drilling down on the mechanics with John Beck in the off season. Okay. That, I mean, that, that's, that's pretty much in line with what I was thinking. And like, I would, I would just like for him to be able to develop some chemistry with, with one or two guys, you know, I think for, for a young guy, it's always great to have either a slot receiver or a tight end, somebody who's going to run those intermediate routes um, that you have a good relationship with and then have, you know, one deep threat. Um, uh, that you can rely on, you know, like the, the just chuck it up there. I know this guy's going to make a play, a play type guy. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, there could be some kind of continuity um, coming out of this offseason. But um, I appreciate well, you make, it. You know, you don't, 
you, you raise a good point. I should have mentioned this. I, I, I went back and, and had our ESPN stats people check this. Uh, Zach was on the field with his starting receivers, Crowder, Corey Davis, and Elijah Moore. That group was only together for 32 snaps this year at the same mm-hmm. time on the field with Zach at quarterback. So that's mm-hmm. basically a half a game. And he had his starting wide receivers intact and on the field. So you talk about chem, uh, continuity and chemistry. He really didn't get much of a chance to build that this year with those guys. They were all hurt at different times. You know, Crowder mm-hmm. seemed like every few weeks was getting hurt. Davis missed the second half of the year. And Elijah Moore missed, you know, the last five games or so. And so they just never got that continuity. And so uh, clearly Moore and Davis will be back. Crowder is a free agent. I don't think he'll resign. They got to resign Berrios. And still, even with Berrios coming back, I think the Jets will make a fairly significant investment in another wide receiver. Awesome. Well, it sounds good. Well, Rich, I appreciate you. Um, thanks for coming on and, and keeping us posted on, on all things Jets. We look forward to continuing to talk to you throughout the season. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. All right, welcome back. New York Game Day here on 98.7 ESPN. Just like the gentleman said, it is hour three. It means Mike Tannenbaum joins us on the program. Mike, good morning. Good morning. How are you, sir? Doing well, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, great great to have you on the, the program. Store? <laughs> uh, that's for sure. Um, so, uh, so first things first, uh, we're going to get to a, a lot with you in, in this next hour with you for the, for, for the next hour until 11 o'clock, but obviously because of your history and, uh, you know, the fact that you, you've been in the front office with a number of different organizations, let's start with the GM search and, uh, nothing more, uh, really, uh, important to talk about than right here in our own backyard, what's going on with the giants. For the first time in a while, I feel the Giants are finally doing this right, and that is hiring a general manager and then letting that general manager choose who the head coach is going to be as opposed to uh, the ownership selecting both uh, without, uh, of course, consulting the general manager. So I I think that's a recipe for success as opposed to the recipe for disaster that we've seen for time and time and time again the last few years. But what are you hearing in the landscape of the GM search, and, and who do you think would be a good fit for the Giants job? Yeah, uh, great to be with you guys. And we talked about this a lot on Friday as well on, on the Michael K show. Um, it's a great opportunity. You know, Kiwi was there a long time. You know, this is the New York Giants. You know, this is a great franchise, one that's obviously stumbled in the last few years, but it's still one of the 32 best jobs if you're in that profession. And I always want to evaluate an opportunity. Do you have unconditional resources to get the job done? And that's a resounding yes. I was with the Jets for 16 years. And I know, you know, both ownerships in this market really care deeply about their teams, and it's a great job. And, you know, some of the names you're hearing, like the Joe Hortizas of the world from Baltimore, where he's been part of a great organization for a long time, Adam Peters in San Francisco, a uh, good friend of mine, JoJo Wooden, who's the assistant GM in the Chargers, deserves an opportunity. Uh, they'll get a good candidate. It's too good of an opportunity. And by the way, it's a quick turnaround. There's a number of really good young players on that team I saw it with the Jets in 97. We got there with Coach Parcells and Belichick. The 96 Jets won one game. 97 Jets won nine. 98 Jets were in the championship game. Bill Belichick goes to New England year two. He wins the Super Bowl. And I'll tell you this, guys. The day Andy Reid walked through the door in Philadelphia, they knew they struck gold. So these don't have to be massively long turnarounds. 
Is there is there any guarantee that the new GM is going to have all those resources at their at their fingertips? Like, are they going to give uh, this new GM some more control? Because in my opinion, I feel like that was something that was hampering Gettleman. You know, Kiwi, it's interesting you say that. Like, I always saw it as a huge positive in terms of having owner involvement. And here's why. When you sit in that seat, everyone has an opinion. When you have the privilege of running an NFL team, the barber, you know, the Uber driver, the DoorDash <laughs> person, you know, your mm-hmm. daughter's 11th grade science teacher, they all do. Mm-hmm. And if the owner wants to come in, I'm like, come on in. Our doors are wide open. We are going to work our tails off. I had two signs. Every rock, every day, we are systematically going to be more relentless than our competitors and either improve our roster from the top down or the bottom up. And then the other one was, in God we trust for everyone else, we need data, which means we're going to be a process-driven organization. We're going to get the best information, and we're not going to go by what the loudest voice in the room. And if we do those two things, we're going to make more good decisions than bad. So if John Mara went to Boston College and he could call up the assistant trainer and find out if the quarterback's a jackass or a good person, go ahead and hold me accountable for the results. That's all I'm asking for. So to me, like, when the owners are involved, I'm great with that. Like, use them as a resource. You know, we had Jordan Manon on uh, earlier, and, uh, you know, we were talking about when you look around, when you look at the list of of men that uh, that the Giants are bringing in, Bills, Cardinals, Kansas City, 49ers, Titans, teams, Ravens, teams that have had success, have success right now because a uh, majority of them have advanced to the postseason and and trying to, to figure out what are those organizations doing right that we haven't been doing? How do we need to change our organizational culture? So a, a lot of these interviews are not just, all right, you know, is this the guy we want to hire? But they're trying to to, to get information. Uh, you, you know, Anita, I think that's so overblown. You know why? Because I've been there. It's about stacking one good day on top of the next, not worrying what people outside think of you, and having rare mental toughness not to make excuses and hold people accountable in a really meaningful way. Like, I just know when you look at New England, look at all the guys they move on from. Like, there are standards, and you move on from them. And, sure, you want to be thoughtful and making sure you're keeping up with the times, but, you know, the Giants have computers. Like, I don't think that's the reason they're winning or not winning. I, I think it's much more fundamental about – having a plan, having alignment. I've always defined the job in part, guys, as you're the point guard of information. If we're going to go trade for Russell Wilson and give up our two first-round picks, here's what we can't do. And are we aligned with that? We need multiple offensive linemen. Are we better off with Daniel Jones and maybe taking two offensive linemen in the first round? Or should we go try to get Russell Wilson? Like, those are the conversations you want to have. And then just stack one good day on top of the next. And if it's the West Coast scout, the groundskeeper, or Daniel Jones, everyone is held to the standard, and if they meet it, they're there. If not, they won't be. And you have to make those tough decisions on a consistent basis. So when you're put yourself in the owner's shoes and you're looking for a GM, what are the expectations? Like, what what are you going to ask him to deliver? Like, is there a timetable? We need to be at this point within a year, two years, or, or how far down the road do you look? Yeah, Kiwi, that's a great question, and you know. I've had those conversations for years with Woody Johnson, Steve Ross sitting in those seats. And it's really more to me about alignment and progress. So, and we've talked about this quite a bit. Let's go to the Jets for a minute. You know, would you say that the December New York Jets would have beaten the August New York Jets? Yeah, probably. Like they got better, maybe not as quickly as we had liked. But so I don't think it's about, hey, they won four games or seven games. And I think one of the things that ultimately didn't Joe Judge, who I was a big fan of, was nobody in good conscience could sit here and say, hey, the December New York Giants could have beat the August New York Giants. Now, a lot of that is clouded by 
the quarterback situation, but I'm sure when John Mara and Steve Tisch closed the door and in a very honest and sober way made their assessment, I'm sure it came back to one word. What's the trajectory of the program? So I think when you're mm-hmm. talking about, hey, if I'm sitting with John Mara and we're mapping out the next five years, I would say, you know, Mr. Mara, you'll know it when we see it. And I don't know if we're going to win three games or nine games next year, but you're going to see a better football team. We're going to be we're going to have a good offensive line. We're not turning the ball over. We're going to be low in penalties. And I want to look at every objective indice to hold me accountable. And you'll see a much more competitive team from day one because we're going to compete in May, we're going to compete in July, and we're going to compete in December. Do you feel that the list of of candidates here that uh, the Giants are are talking to, you know, young, um, you know, where's, where's, I don't want to use the word, it's not motivation, but, you know, there's not like, you know, you're not hearing like, you or Scott Pioli or, you know, we're not, we're not hearing like guys that have been there, done that, got the free t-shirt, have, you know, have, have ran organizations. This this is very young whippersnapper just coming into the business, ready to take the next step. Do do you feel that way about this list? Mike, do you feel good about this list? Well, I, I, think I feel she, like I you're trying to get rid of me. Old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's what I mean. You're calling me older. you to get rid of me. But besides that, Ania, that's a Come heck on. of a question. That's not, what I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just, you know what I'm saying. Like yeah. these, these are guys yeah. with very, very little experience. Where there's, yeah. there's guys out yeah. there that I'm sure would, you know, I hear Scott Pioli, and whether this is true or not, I, I haven't spoken to him, but you know, I hear that that he's been in, he's been interested in years past to get back into that uh-huh. role. So, but they're yeah, going I, with young guys right. ready to take the next step. Yeah, and, and Anita, it's a fair question, and uh, I'll go on the record here. Absolutely, Scott Peely would definitely deserve an interview. I've worked with Scott multiple places. He's from this area. He was a big Giant fan growing up. He broke into this business by, like, sleeping on Bill Belichick's floor 100 years ago when Coach Belichick was first with the Giants. So, yeah, do I think Scott would be a very worthy candidate? Absolutely. You can't look at his resume and say otherwise. Um, and, you know, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe this is just, you know, the early part of the search. I will say this, like – when we're talking about the coaching candidates, here's what I don't understand, guys. I'm going to give you a bunch of names. Leslie Shepard, Todd Bowles, Doug Peterson, Dan Quinn, Jim Caldwell. All those guys have had success as a head coach to varying degrees. Doug won a head uh, Super Bowl. Dan was in one. Jim Caldwell. They still haven't righted the ship since he left Detroit. How do we know that the Detroit Lions, the New York Jets, or the Atlanta Falcons made the right decision in firing those guys? And if I was the owner of the Giants, I'd be talking to those guys because I want to benefit from the experience they had in other places. So, Anita, I agree from an experience standpoint. I can tell you this. I was the assistant GM of the New York Jets for five years. When I became the GM, I had absolutely no idea what the job was about. We won a lot early. We went to the playoffs. And I was like, my gosh, thank God, because I survived some of my mistakes. I really learned what the job was. And when – you know, Dave Gettleman was a much older man when he was the GM of the Giants, so maybe he had a better understanding of what it was. I was 35. And <clears throat> you're, 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 the point you're making is this, which is if you hire, pick a name, Monty Austin Fort, Adam Peters, they have no idea what they're getting themselves into, especially in New York. So if you're going young on that part of the ledger, I would definitely go experience on the other part because you want to give yourself – and Coach Parcells, guys, had a great expression. He always said, hey – we got to win immediately because we want to hold the fort because if we don't hold the fort, we're not building on anything. And I think, and you guys know this better than I do, given everything that's happened with the Giants in recent years, like having credibility in year one next year is going to be so critical because people don't want to say, oh, McAdoo for two, Shermer for two, Judge for two, and whoever the next coach is, 
oh, he's here for another two. So that's why I think it's important that they get a really good foundation next season. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks.